Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good uh, morning, Christ City Church. My name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning and to celebrate with you. I'm just really, I mean, I'm excited that we get a chance to uh, just to sing and to remember the greatness of God, the goodness of God, that uh, we're able to uh, come to a place where we're able to collectively pray to a God who hears us. I'm uh, excited to be in this place with all of you, to be reminded by all of you that God is good. He's majestic. He is worthy of our praise. I'm, I'm just, I really am delighted to be here with you uh, uh, this morning. By the way, I, and I've needed, like I need reminders. I know I've said this before, but I, I need a congregation that's going to remind me of the goodness and greatness of God. And so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I, your neighbors, they may not have told you that yet, but your neighbors are actually glad that you're here because they forget to, and they need to be reminded of the goodness of greatness of God. So I just, right now, I just want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're welcome. So just, you're welcome. Yeah, because if, if, like, you weren't here, like, they wouldn't have anybody to remind them that our God is good and that he's great and that he's majestic. And so um, with, with all of this, I just, I just want to say thank you for, for joining us. And, um, uh, and you're welcome. Uh, I'm, I'm here uh, for you. I, um, I want to sing. I know that we've sang, but I want to sing another song at, at great risk uh, to, for me to sing. Um, there's no words on the screen, but I think that, uh, I think that you know it. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> I've been nervous about this part in the sermon all week, so. Um. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I, um, I've known that song for so long, I can't actually remember when I learned it. I can't remember a time when I, when I actually haven't known that song. 
I've sung it as a child over and over. I've sung it as an adult over and over. I've hummed it when I was completely unaware that I was actually humming that song in public. Um, I have, uh, I've hummed it uh, in the back of funeral parlors at family members' wakes. I've hummed it and sung it uh, when I was certain of God's love for me, and I've sung it with a smile on my face and all the world was right, and I've sung it when, frankly, I wasn't sure of its truthfulness. Not because of anything God had done, but because of a lot that I had done. And I sung it not knowing if it were still true. I have sung it over the lives of my children, and now just had the opportunity to sing it over a church that I love. The thing is, um, you don't need me to tell you that songs are powerful. You know this intuitively and even experientially, I suspect. Songs and poetry, they've moved you, they have touched us in ways that sometimes we don't even have words for, we just have groans or aches or tears for. And within our faith tradition as Christians, more than even preaching and more than writing, we actually sing our theology. We sing the things that we believe. We sing out the things that we believe. We sing the things that we hope for. We sing out our sorrows. We sing our joys. And most especially, we sing our faith. I know um, that uh, if you want to know what a follower of Jesus believes, then listen to what they sing. Um, One of the podcasts I listen to from time to time is called The Liturgist. It's a couple of crazy smart guys that are Christians, and they sort of talk about all manner of things, the Bible, justice, creativity, just lots of different topics uh, in really thoughtful and challenging ways. And often I come away from their podcasts uh, fired up about something that challenged my way of uh, thinking or, uh, or challenged me in ways that I just wasn't prepared for. And simultaneously, it stirs my soul in many ways. Uh, one of their episodes, they focused on the act of worship especially uh, through song. And one of the hosts, uh, Mike uh, McHargue, they call him Science Mike. I actually don't know how to say his last name, so they just call him Science Mike because he's a scientist. (laughs) His first name's Mike. Sort of worked out. Um, He was sharing about the connections that actually happen in the brain uh, when we sing our faith. Um, When we attach music to worship, there's actually something neurologically that happens uh, when we sing a together, corporately. Actually, more parts of the brain uh, are engaged. Uh, Both the right and the left temporal lobes get engaged when we corporately sing together, when we participate in that corporate act of worship. Um, These are the parts that uh, uh, handle both sort of logic and language, and then also uh, visual and spatial information. So if you think of the logical side and then also the creative side, both of those sides get engaged when we sing together in worship. There's another part of the brain uh, called the corpus callosum. Um, I actually confirmed all of this with Lisa's sister, who has a PhD in brain science. Last night, it was her birthday. I called her. I said, happy birthday, Amy. I need to confirm something that I'm going to say in my sermon. She said, yes, you're absolutely right. So the corpus callosum, uh, which is it's actually the part of the brain that connects the two hemispheres, that actually gets engaged when we worship together as well. Um, the, the thing is, it, it happens, it doesn't happen just when we listen to music, and it doesn't happen when we just speak poetry, but it happens, uh, and it doesn't just happen when you do it by yourself, but there's something when we're engaged together in a corporate act of singing our faith that it engages different parts of the brain and different parts of who we are. 
Um, this part of this is part of what is happening when we sing out our theology. It's it's part of the reason why you may or may not remember what I've just said about the brain, but um, later today you'll remember that we sang, "Jesus loves you." This we know um, because we sing our theology. Today, um, we're going to begin a new series on the Psalms. We'll walk through over the course of the next several weeks um, uh, in the Psalms, and we won't cover all of them. There's 150 of them. It would take a while. Um, But we do want to cover enough so that you have a decent grasp of the different types of Psalms that are in the book of Psalms and how those ancient songs shaped the worshipers of the day and how they shape us now. Um, The name of the book uh, of the Psalms, it actually uh, is a series of translations from the original Hebrew that were then translated into Greek and then translated into English. In Hebrew, the book's name is Tehillim, which simply means to praise or to worship. The book of Psalms in our Bibles, it's actually a diverse collection of sacred poems and prayers and worship songs. Some are for public events and for uh, public worship gatherings. Others of them are for just private acts of prayer. Some are written for celebration. Others are written for times of sorrow. The breadth and emotion displayed in the Psalms, it's actually quite staggering. John Calvin, the French theologian and central figure in the Protestant Reformation, he would say that the Psalms were an anatomy of all parts of the soul because of their depth and breadth. There are 150 psalms, or 150 chapters as we might read them, and the book of Psalms is actually broken down into five books within it. And it's a collection that spanned actually 700 years at its widest part. Many of the psalms were written around the same time, the psalms of David, for example, but others of them were written um, well before that and well after that. And within this body of songs, there's different types of psalms. There's uh, just as we have different types of music, so too are there different types of psalms that we'll encounter. There's different ways to divide up the different types and subtypes of psalms, just as we might actually have a hard time trying to classify even American music, whether it's uh, blues or bluegrass or folk or country or trap music or R&B. And at this point, I've just named every form of music I know. But in broad strokes, um, some genre or types um, that we'll tackle in the series um, are hymns, for example, is one. These are uh, general psalms that speak to the majesty and the celebration of God and his character. We'll also encounter psalms of thanksgiving. These are psalms that actually give credit to God, uh, not for his character, but for what he's done. An example of this may be in Psalm 8 and verse 3 where the psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. This is a celebration of what God has done. And then laments. These songs cry out to God for deliverance or for relief or for help. We'll also encounter the imprecatory psalms. This is a, a subgenre of lament that um, it's actually quite a hard nut to crack when we're walking through them and startle us um, with our modern sensibilities because of their call for deliverance. They call for God's wrath on one's enemies. One example is David's psalm, Psalm 35, where he says, Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. We'll also encounter psalms of ascent. These are formal psalms that would have been sung as Israelites made their pilgrimage to Israel. 
Um, the Psalms from 120 to 134 are Psalms of ascent. And they were used in various capacities in Israel's worship once they got to Jerusalem. Wisdom Psalms are also another category. These read like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes and they contain truths to live by and typically carry in them words wise and foolish. The Royal Psalms, these are, uh, this is a genre of psalm that actually celebrates the kingdom of Israel and Israel's leaders, and they're generally tied to specific events in the life of a king, a wedding or a celebration or when a battle ends or an inauguration. Psalm 18, for example, um, listen to how this psalm ends in verse 50. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Today, uh, we want to begin with the psalm that we read, Psalm 146, which is actually a hymn psalm. Though it does contain some of the other elements, um, especially lament and imprecatory, though it is primarily a celebration of the character of God, and it is also a psalm of justice. I've asked my friend Nina Balmaceda to come and walk with us through this psalm because in many ways Nina embodies so much of the strength and love and justice that is sung in Psalm 146. Nina is a professor at Nyack College in New York. She's also a professor at Pepperdine University's D.C. campus. And so she leads an organization that we've just referenced called Paz, Paz y Esperanza, Peace and Hope, which is a collection of ministries that seek justice and displaying God's kingdom throughout Latin America through ending human trafficking, engaging in economic development, and women's empowerment. Nina and the Paz y Esperanza family of ministries has much to teach us about what it means to follow Christ and embody Psalm 146. So will you join me in welcoming La Profesora. Buenos dias. It's a great pleasure to be here. I um, don't tell anyone else, but when I'm in DC and I can spend a Sunday here, this is my church. <laughs> so I, I recognize a few of you. Um, I just uh, so delighted, so grateful for being able to worship our Lord together this morning and to share some reflections about um, a beautiful psalm. Um, I, I, like Pastor Watson said, it has some imprecatory, it has some description of God's heart, but also has some description of what he does. It has a little bit of everything. But if I may recommend to you, please look at it from the lens of justice. So where does this yearning for justice come from? Like when we see that somebody is suffering at the hands of somebody that is abusing power, when we see a young lady in the caught by a human trafficking ring. I mean, those feelings, those inner desires for something to happen and make things right again, where do they come from? And what role does seeking justice play in the calling to love our neighbor? I believe that not only Psalm 146, but the whole Bible, Teachers, they teach very clearly that that yearning for fairness and justice in how we treat each other come from the very heart of God. Psalm 146 is, like Pastor said, an invitation to praise God. But an invitation for very specific reasons. 
the psalm as well as the whole Bible, when we read it not word by word or verse by verse, but taking the whole meaning of the biblical text, which is the way God wants us to understand it, proclaims that our God is a God of compassionate love and also a God that loves justice. There are three words in the Bible. I mean, there are many words, but there are three key words <laughs> that I can present to you this morning that refer to justice and righteousness. And you have uh, these three words here. The first one is mishpat, which refers to, the, to God's desire that his people, in the Old Testament Israel, and now all of us, can enjoy life within a system that affirms what is right. And that when, when that doesn't happen, there is a way to repair the harm. There is a way to restore those that have committed evil acts and also a way to restore those, those that have suffered those evil acts. Second term I want to present to you is sedaka, which unfortunately uh, many people um, understand more as charity, but I am going to make a case today that sedaka, even though it has a lot to do with giving aid, is not charity, at least not in the typical way we understand it, but it's doing just justice. The third term, which we won't have the time to discuss today, is dikaiosune, which is a term of the New Testament to talk about what is just and what is right in our God's calling that those that call on his name, those that sing him praises, have a life that is coherent with what we speak. Because it's so easy to say something and sing something and live very differently. I'm a very political person, so I'm terribly tempted right now to give you some examples, but I won't. very clear in the whole message of both Old and New Testament that God has a passion for humanity. He has created us to bear his image, all of us in our great diversity, our many different accents, our different hairdos, and our different political positions, yes, in our great diversity. God loves humanity. But the Bible also teaches that he has a special care for human beings who suffer the consequences of an unjust system. And Psalm 146 makes it very clear that there are certain groups of people that the Lord never ignores, that he is constantly focused, and that he cares for their cause. Um, verse 7a talks about the oppressed, so a very clear reference to those that suffer vulnerability in a particular system, either in their community or their nation. 7b talks about those that suffer hunger, which is a great offense to God. 7c talks about those that are in prison, victims of a system that uses, in quote, justice to focus only on punishment, which ends up destroying the lives of those that have committed crimes, but also their families, their children so that the victims of that unjust system. God also cares for persons with different abilities. The psalm refers to those who are blind. Uh, our organization, Peace and Hope, uh, is delighted to seek to affirm the rights of everyone, and in particular those with different abilities. And I'll tell you in a little, in a few minutes, about one of those programs that affirm uh, the rights of deaf children. 
um, also when, uh, Psalm 146 uh, talks about uh, God caring for those that suffer mental illness and those that suffer depression and that they are also very dear to God's heart. Those like me who are alien, although I am a foreign American citizen, um, not because they are from somewhere else, but because of their condition of coming from another country, maybe they've been displaced because of violence, displaced because of extreme poverty, displaced with threats to their well-being, they move, they are forced to go to other countries and suffer great vulnerability. Yeah, the Lord cares deeply for them. God cares for the orphans. In the, this mention about widows, uh, I like to refer to them that God cares for women who need protection and for men who need protection, of course, but there are, in the current systems, very clear reasons, and it's been in the news in the last weeks, about how even powerful women are so vulnerable uh, to abuse. So just only think about those that are not powerful. Again, in systems that condemn women to live as objects and not as full citizens. So let me come back to one of those three words that I uh, introduced a few minutes ago, sedaka. Uh, Sedaka uh, means justice, means righteousness, being doing God's will in the Old Testament. And it is also the name of a precious Hebrew tradition that has to do with helping the poor. And in this tradition, unfortunately translated as charity, then I contend, and I will not, never pass any student that will explain Sedaka as charity. <laughs> <laughs> so if you come to one of my classes, you know already how to get an A. <laughs> Tzedakah asks the people of God to join with him in expressing this care for those who are vulnerable. And there are eight different levels in giving glory to God. So we start at the lowest level of giving glory to God, <laughs> which happens when we give to someone in need, but begrudgingly. Like we'd rather not give, but maybe they are looking at us, or maybe we really fear the Lord. <laughs> And so we give, but our heart is not with our act of giving. So that's like the really minimum way of doing tzedakah. A higher way of doing tzedakah is maybe when we don't give actually what we should be giving, but at least we do it with a good attitude. We do it cheerfully. <laughs> God prefers that, actually, when our hearts are motivated and, and we have joy in joining God in giving help to someone in need. There is a third level that increases this opportunity to glorify God and joining him in doing justice, which is giving when somebody asks, just responding to that incredibly difficult action of asking for help. But guess what? There is a superior way of doing justice, of helping others that it's when we don't wait to be asked. Now, to be able to help others and not wait to be asked, what does that mean? Well, it means that I am not so focused on my own needs that I have a little room in my life to be alert about the needs of my neighbors. And that definitely brings more glory to God when we are able to grow 
out of our selfishness and be alert to what happens. So let me bring a little story from our ministry, Peace and Hope in Peru. We are a Christian human rights organization, so from that description you can imagine our main work is focused on improving the legal system, improving the affirmation of rights, especially for girls and, and women and, and boys in poverty. Uh, so we decided to open one of our offices in Peru in the Amazon jungle, which is a beautiful place. And I hope some of you will come, see our work, join us in our work sometime in the future. Uh, but this is what happened to us. We went there because we were very concerned about the rights of indigenous communities who are losing their lands and who are seeing their land terribly contaminated and suffering uh, a lot of abuse. I will not continue because then I get political. So coming back to that need, we, we were there and then our team realized that among the many needs for justice in those communities, th there was something very particular in the city, well it's not a city, well, you call it a village, um, of Cajamar New Cajamarca in, in San Martin, in, this, in the jungle of Peru. And it's that there are lots of children in the streets. And when you try to communicate with them, they look at you and they don't do anything. Like they, they just keep doing whatever they're trying to do. So they realize that this area is filled with children who are deaf as a consequence of contamination of water, which is another whole justice issue that we are trying to confront through a different program. But the team realized that we really needed, without being asked, <laughs> that we really needed to motivate Christians who knew, who were bilingual or who were deaf and knew sign language to come and gather these children, gather public school teachers, because these are really, I mean, children in poverty, they will never go to private school. Um, not that they can afford it if there is a private school that started, you know, at Sedaka, <laughs> not charity. Maybe they will go, but they were just going to public school. C can you imagine being deaf, sitting there, and looking at your teacher do this. So to these children, they were just sent to school because their parents needed to go to work, but they were constantly t being told that they were stupid, that they were morons, and they are not. None of them is. So we started our program for the affirmation of the rights of deaf children in the jungle of Peru. And we are working with almost 100 uh, children and teenagers, but also with public school teachers, because the children will come to their classrooms, uh, and also with parents and their siblings. And anyone, really, who wants to become bilingual. Uh, we also are teaching policemen and policewomen sign language, so that when they see these children in the streets, they know how to communicate with them. I could tell you lots of anecdotes. It's been such a joy to have that program uh, started. But I'm, I'm gonna continue with uh, the levels of SEDAC. I hope you're interested in knowing what are other levels. So um, we were talking about level four, and now let me introduce level five, which is giving when you don't know the recipient's identity, but that person actually knows um, that, it's come, that it's coming from you. So you give a donation, for example, uh, and you don't know how it's going to be used in detail, you just trust that it will be well used, but the people that receive that gift know that it came from you. And you can go even a little higher in giving glory to God when it's, when it's exactly the opposite. 
when you know who your beneficiary is, you become interested in their lives, but you don't let them know who you are. And what's the reason not to let them know who you are? Well, because they will never be able to repay you. They will know it comes from God. In the most superior level, this is level eight of tzedakah, is when you give in a way that actually you leave all the previous levels of tzedakah behind because now you become involved in the lives of that person that you want to help, that you know that he or she needs justice. And you walk with them until they become self-reliant. And when that happens, why, why does that bring more glory to God? Because now that person can help others. If all Christians in the world would practice tzedakah, there wouldn't be poverty in the world. So this is a great opportunity for us to reflect on the small things that we can do according to this invitation to do injustice in, one, in Psalm 146. I want to share with you uh, two more stories very quickly about how in peace and hope we are trying to embrace these different levels of Sedaka. We have a shelter for survivors of sexual violence in the highlands of Peru. And also we provide services against for survivors, not, not a shelter properly, but uh, legal uh, address and mental counseling for survivors in the city of Guayaquil, Ecuador, and in Santa Cruz de la Sierra in Bolivia. And with your prayers and support, I hope, we're planning to start an office in Rio Janeiro, Brazil next year, and in Santiago de Chile in Chile. What is our purpose? We understand that a person that suffers sexual violence or domestic abuse not only is a victim of a crime, but it's a victim of a very particular kind of crime. There is something mysterious. Maybe if you are a, a mental health counselor, you could explain it to me. There is something in suffering sexual violence that somehow deceives the victim and makes her or him think that they are worthless. So it, it's something that the devil does, that, it's a, that uses this particular kind of violence to steal the self-worth of a person, destroys their self-confidence. So we came to the conclusion that it was not only to provide lawyers to seek for the perpetrators, to see that justice is done uh, and end impunity uh, in those countries, because obviously the reason why it happens so frequently is due to the impunity that the system allows, right, naturally. If the system were working right, uh, we would be seeing much fewer cases. Also, we address the issues of culture. What are we teaching our children? What, are we, what kind of message we are sharing in schools about the worth of women and, and girls? So um, in our shelter, I, I just get very emotional about this because I, I see so clearly the work of God through the Ministry of Peace and Hope We've had almost 200 graduates, graduates in the sense of girls that have come live with us in our shelter, um, many of them pregnant, a 12-year-old, 13 years old, 14 years old. And, uh, and we work with them. We, we receive them in our home. Um, we make sure that they continue their schooling. This is very hard because, you know, children tend to be a bit 
cruel. I mean, they are going to ask, why do you have a big belly, right? We're playing with dolls. Why do you have a baby, a real one, a real doll alive? So we try to provide all the support that they need to continue school when it's, it's just too difficult for them to continue going to high school. And it is just so incredibly miraculous to see that some of them are actually becoming self-reliant as they are finishing their time with us, not only receiving legal aid, medical care for them and their babies, emotional support. Uh, we have, we recruit volunteer mummies in the, mummy means mother, in, uh, in Peru um, to come and teach them how to be a mom uh, to their newborn babies. And um, these beautiful ladies that you can look at now, I want to introduce them to you. Ines, all of them come from context of extreme poverty, and probably they would have never aspired to go to college. Like, college would be as far for them as Mars is to us. But they came, and uh, Ines showed a lot of focus, really seeking that extra help every time she could. And now she's graduated from the shelter, moved to another city, and with our support and God's provision, she's studying banking administration. Rosalia had her baby at our house, decided to give her little one in adoption uh, because she knew that it would be very, very hard at 14 to care for the baby, and she thought her baby deserved a family, not just uh, a teenage mom that couldn't provide for her. So she stayed with us uh, during that terrible period of separation, which is so incredibly difficult. Um, and then with the help of tutors, she was able to actually um, apply for a scholarship and earn a full scholarship to study graphic design. Finally, Segundina always showed a lot of interest in helping others, especially as soon as the, the ladies, the young girls, were uh, giving birth to be with them and help them take care of the babies and etc. So this survivor decided to become a nurse. I am not going to tell you here about the torture these children suffered, but I am delighted to tell you that the Lord has restored their lives because there were people willing to be God's hands and feet and voice to injustice in their lives. And I am just so grateful for people like you that want to hear about our stories that will hopefully remember us in prayer, who might be interested in joining us in this ministry. So if you could please um, remember Two things from this uh, talk, that doing justice is different from doing charity. That doing justice involves affirming the rights of people, created in the image of God. That it has this very personal element of being involved in their lives and accompanying them. That that is the way to do justice, not just systemic, which is incredibly important, but also getting to know them and getting to give a word of encouragement and that they know that they are not alone. Would you join me in a word of prayer? 
Dear Lord, your word proclaims your goodness, your love for humanity. And the ancient believers called you Yahweh Sitkenu. God, you are our justice. I pray, Lord, that uh, the words of Psalm 146 will be with us for a long time and that will help us discover more and more who you are. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm uh, 146 and verse 7, just to look again. The category of um, people that the God of, of Israel, that the maker of heaven and earth, Verse 7, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. Lord sets prisoners free. Lord gives sight to the blind. Lifts up those that are bowed down. Loves the righteous. Watches over the foreigner. And sustains the fatherless and the widow. It's a, it's a psalm of, of, it's a hymn which, as I mentioned earlier, is a category of psalm that lifts up the character of God. And it ends, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. That in this, what Nina has shared with us is the character of God. And we as his people, let us walk and live and move in that same character. Let it be said of us as it is of our God who reigns forever and ever. Let it be said of us, dear church, that we too, along with the Lord, uphold the cause of the oppressed. Let us be a people that gives food to the hungry. Let us participate in the liberation of prisoners let us, with the Lord, lift up those who've been bowed down because of oppression. The Lord loves righteous. Let us walk in those ways. Let us, with the Lord, be among those that watch over the foreigner and the stranger in our midst. Let us participate in the sustaining, the empowerment of the fatherless and the widow. And let us do this because we know that the Lord reigns forever. And our God, he reigns for all generations. We don't do this on our own or under our own power. We don't do this because we're strong or we're good or we're smart or we're right. We don't do it for any of those things. And we're not able to do it for any of those reasons. We do it because of Christ and him alone. Each week at Christ City Church, we come to the table to remember that any of the things that the Lord calls us to, we don't do them on our own. We don't do them under our own strength. We do them as a people of faith that have placed our faith and our trust in the one who has done this for us.